Good morning. And a special congratulations to Grandpa Bob. That weird or what? And Grandma Lauren. <laughs> and I always knew Jean was great, a great grandma, but now she's officially a great grandma. Now she's always been great. Um, but congratulations. Um, that's the best way of growth in the assembly is to uh, <laughs> keep reproducing. Well, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I've done my part. I've given uh, four kids. And... <laughs> but uh, it's truly a blessed thing. But uh, Andrew and Melanie, your life's going to change in <laughs> nine months. Forget sleeping. You can talk to Justin and David back there. <laughs> Life as you know it has changed. <laughs> All right. Um, this morning we're going to continue on with the attributes of God. Before I hit that real quick, see, I'm one of those guys that is a last minute. I don't think of the, you know, uh, like if it's a birthday or something like that. I'm one of those guys the last minute runs out and gets a gift and tries to uh, make amends real quick. But I, it didn't dawn on me till today. This is the last message of the year. So I really didn't have an end of the year message prepared. But I'm going to go with, uh, just before we get into the attributes of God and how this is going to tie into the end of the year, is the attributes of God not only are characteristics of God, but characteristics of, it should be characteristics of us. Each one of these attributes should be applied to us in a very practical way and carried them out. Um, but for a real end of year blessing, as David mentioned about the prayer meeting um, attending, but you know, one of the things that hit me uh, a few months back is, have I really given my all for the Lord? Have I really given everything that I have to serve the Lord wholeheartedly to where it costs me something? You know, there's a comfort zone in which, okay, Sunday we fit it into our schedules uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, but then we go on through our week and the rest of the week we own. But have we made the Lord our priority seven days a week? And not just for meetings of a prayer meeting or uh, or Sunday morning or Sunday night, but investing in the believers' lives, of visiting, of encouraging, of praying for one another. Um, you know, we all start good in, in a race, and then a lot of times we get tired. And if those of you that are runners, um, I hate running, but I played soccer my whole life. But uh, I'll chase a ball, but don't just ask me to run. But the first half of the game, you, you got a lot of energy. And I remember one of our games we were playing, and, uh, and it went into overtime in high school. And I remember at the end of the game, I had given it my all, and I was tired. I was done. I, I was like, I don't want to go out there for, and run again. But that's when the real inner self needs to come out and say, you know what, i got to give it my all. To where you can't walk at the end of the game, you're tired. And that's the same thing in the Christian's life, is that we, we oftentimes have good intentions and everything else, and, and we do our New Year resolution, and nine times out of ten we say we're going to diet, eat healthy, do all this stuff, and a few months into it we, we drop off. But um, to really make it a priority of the Lord and of the assembly and of the, the, the saints here to pray and to visit one another and, and to come out. to The meetings are not just meetings so that we attend and we can check off the box I attend the 
biddings of God, but it's like Dave mentioned, to pray. It's time of prayer. The New Testament saints, you couldn't keep them away from the meetings of the local assembly. You couldn't keep them away from each other. They flocked to each other. Their lives were intertwined with each other. It wasn't that they had to have a separate time. It was every night they would gather together. They couldn't get enough of each other. Now, I know you guys don't like me, and you got enough of me, but, uh, but I know you guys like each other. So, But to pray for one another and really take Christianity serious, because Christianity is not just a, a religious gathering, um, but it's our lives. Christianity is about lives, one another. The church is the people of God, and this is what we're one body. And um, to really take this serious this next year, and to challenge one another, I need to challenge myself because I, I haven't given to myself to where I'm weary. I, I like my comfort zones, and, and I try to stay within my comfort. But we got to push out. If we want to see the blessings of God, as David had said when he was commanded to build the altar, he's not going to offer something to the Lord that costs him nothing. He paid for it. And this is the same thing for us. We are living sacrifices. Part of the living sacrifice has been said is that we crawl out, the living sacrifice crawls off the altar. The living sacrifice. We really give ourselves to God. Um, the attributes of God, as we studied uh, several weeks ago, we, we covered. Just to bring back to remembrance, uh, it's a characteristic. The attributes are there for us to understand who God is. That's how God has revealed himself to us. They are qualities inherent to a subject. They identify, distinguish, and analyze the subject of who you're looking at. God has revealed himself in a manner that gives us the ability to know who he is and to identify with him because God is an invisible God. We can't see him. We don't have a graven image. But God has revealed himself to us as who he is, and he has given us the person of Jesus Christ to reveal to us fuller of who he is. The attributes of God should really make us live holy lives. When you look at who God is, and we are the children of God, and you see what God wants to do is God wants his children to act like the father. Just like I am the father of my family and my kids, and I would like them in certain good aspects of my life, to emulate those, not pick up the bad habits. But within God, they're all good. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ has come and said. He only does what he's seen the Father do. I and the Father are one. They are so intertwined. And this doesn't just stop with the relationship between the Father and the Son, but it goes down to us, for we are children of God. And we represent the God in heaven. So each one of these attributes that we see of God are not only something that are distinct to God, but something God has done and wants us to abide in. See, he has created us in the image and likeness of him. In each one of these attributes, we can represent God in certain ways. Where we left off at is the first, we covered God is holy and God is spirit. God is life. God is self-existent and free. God is infinite and eternal. And what we're going to pick up on is the sixth one. And that is, God is immutable or changeless. Turn over to Psalms chapter 102. And one more thing on the attributes of God, and I know certain people will say this is an attribute of God and this isn't, and this goes to this section, and I covered this a little bit several weeks ago. 
not to get hung up on that, but to look at just who God is. This is the whole purpose of it. Look at who God truly is. Psalm 102, verse 27. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. In Malachi, it says, chapter 3, verse 6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. This is huge. You know, God is who God is. He doesn't change with time. He doesn't change with the flavor of the day. Oftentimes, it's funny with uh, sporting events, whenever the team's in first place, all of a sudden everyone becomes a fan of that team. I mean, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers could never, uh, they were terrible for so many years, and all of a sudden they turn it around, and they're going to the Super Bowl, and you see all these people wearing Tampa Bay Buccaneer hats. But see, God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can you imagine if God changed his mind? Can you imagine if God wavered with the times? If God's word was not true and last forever? If God was not faithful? God's word is true, and what he states in his word will always come to pass, will always be fulfilled, and he will never falter upon it. God is who he is. And God will never change his attributes. Will never change his, he'll never love you more or less. His love will always be for the fullest towards you. His mercy will always be full. His goodness will always be full. Everything that God is is always going to be there from now throughout all of eternity because this is inherently who God is. God is changeless. God is who he is. It doesn't matter what we think of God. It doesn't matter if our perspective is that God is this or that. God is who he is. And we come to the scriptures to understand who God is. And when God has declared who he is and he makes a promise, he keeps it. He's changeless. He's immutable. He's steadfast. He's faithful from now throughout all of eternity and in eternity past. It says, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Not only is he eternal, but who he is is always going to be there throughout all of eternity. Can you imagine if God changed his mind? Here we are in eternity living with the Lord, and he says, you know what, I'm tired of you people. Hmm. Out of heaven you go. Hmm. The same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in each one of these attributes, we see it as in God, the attributes, and then also we can carry them into the Lord Jesus. He fulfills and is full of all the attributes of God because he is God, and then we can carry on and apply them into our lives. Lord Jesus Christ, people say, well, he could have sinned on earth. Hmm. Could he have sinned when he walked on this earth? If he could sin now, when he walked on earth, he could sin in heaven. And if he ever sinned, what happened to our salvation? See, Jesus said, I am the same yesterday and forever. He never changes. He's always going to be who he is. The most important thing is, is that his love and his promise of eternal life and the application of this is always going to come to fruition. It'll never change throughout all of eternity.
How can this apply towards our life? Do we change with the tides? Do we stand fast in the word of God? Do we stand firm and are we faithful? Are we always there? Do we abide by our word? See, God is changeless and so should we be. Standing in the word of God and in his ways, never to be wavered by the pressures of society and of this world. Never to falter, but to stand fast in the word of God and what means the most. When the pressures of life come upon you, we stand changeless is what we should. The next attribute of God, and we don't have a lot of time to spend on each one of these, but uh, we could. We could spend a whole message on it and look at more verses. God is truth, and this carries over from what we just talked about a little bit in that he's immutable and changeless, but God is truth. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 32, I'll get there, verse 4. It says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Romans 3, 4 says, Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. And Titus 1, 2 it says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. The Son of God, when he was revealed in John chapter 1, he came full of grace and truth. And Jesus declared unto his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. God is true. Now what does this mean? The first and fourth... What we got to understand is everything that we know about life and about our existence comes from God. He is true. So where we stand, if we miss the very mark of declaring that there is a God, then you're never going to know the truth. You're never going to understand what life's about. You're never going to understand what true happiness is. Because God is what is true. And what he has declared is truth. He doesn't lie. He doesn't make stuff up. He doesn't lead us astray. But he is absolutely 100% right in everything he says and everything he does. He cannot lie. He cannot mislead us. He is always going to be faithful to his word and what he has declared is truth. The Lord Jesus Christ was the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That word, the very concept of an idea, is who Jesus is. To declare to us what we know is, comes from God. Everything you know in existence right now, God has declared it to you and given us an understanding to comprehend it. Even from our judicial system, it comes from God. God is just. God is righteous. And everything we know in which we treat each other in love and everything you, you understand in life it comes from God because God has declared it. Because the very nature of God is truth 
It is handed down to us. You see, we would treat people differently if we didn't know God. We would treat people differently if there was no God. It would be the laws of the jungle. It would be let everyone do what's right in their own eyes. For me to walk over and steal something from you is not right. Why? Because God has said it's not right. Everything you understand, right and wrong, and black and white, and everything else that falls in there <clears throat> comes from God. It's not that our, our minds have thought this stuff up. It's because God has put within us, after his nature, to understand what is right and wrong, and it comes from the truth of God. Therefore, me, for me to take another person's life is wrong. If there is no God, you could take another person's life. It wouldn't matter. Animals do it for food. They don't think twice about killing another animal. There's no sorrow within it that a lion, as he devours a wildebeest, doesn't think, oh, well, this wildebeest over here has, uh, perhaps it had uh, children he has to go back and feed. It doesn't think it at all. But you and I know it. As many of you know, I'm a police officer. And we have a couple more in the uh, meeting here. And it's interesting how you arrest somebody. These big, tough gangsters on the street that have done all kinds of criminal activities and everything else. And we just arrested one the other day. They start breaking down crying in the jail cell. And this guy's tatted from head to toe. You know, you'd be scared to walk down the street on the same side of the sidewalk as him. Here he starts breaking down. Why? Because what he's done is wrong, and he knows it. Because God, the creator of the universe, has declared to him and put within him a conscience that tells you what's right and wrong. And he knows he's done wrong. From the very beginning of time with Cain and Abel, it was wrong for Cain to kill Abel. If there was no God that declared to us the truth, then there, there wouldn't be no laws or rules for us to follow by, and it would be, as one has put it, the law of the jungle, anything that goes. But everything we know that is true and that we appreciate comes from God, for God has declared it to us because God is true, and he is the standard of what truth is. If we want to know what life's about, we go to God. If we want to understand how to treat our spouses, our, our family members, everything, you go to God and you learn. We don't go to Hollywood. We don't go to Oprah. We don't go to the, the, the world system to understand how to treat one another. We go to God because God's word is faithful and it is truth. And when you stand in truth and you abide in truth and you honor God that way, God's always going to honor you. He will always honor his word. And that's what he loves to see is for us to abide in truth. To believe him, take him at his word, to open up this book and, and, and to drink it in, not just as words, but as the word of God, as God is communicating to us. And when you trust in God's word and you say, God, this is truth and I abide in it and I love it. That is what God truly loves and wants. God is light and in him is no darkness. God truly will lighten our paths. And his word will never fail us. No matter where it takes us, he will always remain faithful to his word. Sometimes it's tough. We've got to make tough decisions. Sometimes it's going to cost you. Well, most of the time it's going to cost you. And actually the scriptures say, all those that live godly 
will suffer persecution. So sometimes, most of the time, it's going to cost you if you stand by the word of God and declare it as truth. Man doesn't like to hear the truth of God. When the truth of God came before men, they crucified the truth of God, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't want him to reign over them. They didn't want anything to do. They wanted to kill him and put him on the cross and crucify him, and they couldn't be harsher to him. What did Jesus do wrong? He healed the sick. He made the lame to walk. But they wanted to crucify him because he revealed the light and the truth of who God is. And he commanded men to repent of their sins. The next attribute is God is love. Look at 1 John chapter 4. And as our brother Danny uh, shared this morning in the, the Lord's Supper, there's nothing greater than the love of God. We all like to be loved. Nobody likes to be not loved. Some of us have been led to the Lord because of the love of God, if not all of us. Because God's love is tremendous. 1 John chapter 4, again reading verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is not only loving, but God is love. It's a very uh, nature of God. One of the things I, I would strongly encourage is to really study out this aspect of God's attribute. Because you see, love is something that is misrepresented in the world, misused, and Hollywood has tainted our minds with the idea of what true love is. We've all seen movies and we've all seen stuff and the Cinderella syndrome of, of some fairy tale love story that goes on. Love can only be known by knowing God. And those that know God learn what love is. You can't separate the two out. And see, there's genuine Christian love. There's true, genuine love that the scriptures declare, as you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is a sacrifice. Love is a choice. Love is a, a, a word of action. Love is not just something that you just say, but it's something that you do. God demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The greatest example of love is that God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Nobody can contest that God loves us. There's not a soul walking this earth that can try and say, God does not love me. All we do is point to the cross. We point to the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for their sins. It says in, in, in 1 John here that he is a propitiation not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world, that God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but have everlasting life. This is a promise of God. And he demonstrated this love that he not only said, I love you, and I'm going to let you go to a lost eternity, but he demonstrated love, and he took the most precious thing he had, his son. And he took his son, and he gave him. He literally took him and said, here, world, I'm going to give him to you to suffer for your sins. I'm going to place the sins of the world upon him. He's going to bear the reproach of our reproach. He gave him. He sent him. He did not spare him. God in all his power and all his might and how magnificent he is and all his creation beauty, he did not spare his own son. That's love. And not only did he send him to this sin-cursed earth, but the Son of God, the Eternal One, took on flesh and blood, took on humanity, walked on this earth, but he went to the cross, and there he took, not only did he take the, the reproach of men and the beatings and the whippings and the crown of thorns and everything upon him, can you imagine what the Father looked down and saw the creation just whipping him, ripping the flesh off of his back? Ah, don't you think the angels up there were ready to just tear man apart? God could have spoke one word and annihilated the entire earth, destroyed it. But as we're going to find out later on, he's long-suffering, he's patient, but his love for us continued on and continued on, never ceasing and allowing humanity to, to beat his son, the creator, and then hang him on a cross. And not only was he hung on a cross, but in those three dark hours, the righteousness of God was poured out upon him. An eternal damnation within those three hours of our punishment for sin were heaped upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Full intensity, nothing held back. Because he loved you and I. And this... And this, the love of God, was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. The only way to reconcile us back to God was for his son to come and die on the cross for our sins. If there's any here, yes, God loves you, but you have to step forward with an act of faith and accept the love of God and accept that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. You have to repent of your sins and believe that Jesus died in your place. And God will forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future, because Jesus paid it all. God is love. The Bible says we're to love one another. Have we loved one another in the same manner that God has loved us? Have we laid down our lives for the brethren? Have we laid down our lives in such a way of sacrificial love? that shows that God is truly love. The Lord declared to his disciples that they will know you. How are they going to know the disciples are his? Love for one another. That you truly love one another. It's an amazing thing, and, and we've got to move on, but uh, Trevor and Leo uh, down there in Mexico and, and, and dealing with all this stuff with Allison, his parents were, were, were rejecting the Lord. 
One of the things that brought them to the Lord was when they went down to Mexico and they saw all the Christians that came around, Trevor and Leo and the family, and their support, and they saw a love that's supernatural. They said, we don't have this. I don't know anything about this. This is the love of God that we put one another above each other. God is love. If we want to know what love is, let's go to God. Let's not go to Hollywood. Let's not view it off of the, the movies or the internet or anything else in our own makeup of what love is. But let's look at what God has declared love is. And 1 Corinthians 13 is an excellent start for that. The next thing is God is good. Turn to Psalm chapter 25. I have to say God is good. He truly is good. And what I put under the goodness of God, and within each one of these we can separate out as an attribute of God, but um, I put the mercy of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God, the long-suffering of God, the compassion of God. All this stuff is the goodness of God and that he is truly good to us. But within each one of these, they can stand on their own. Psalm uh, 25 and begin reading in verse 5. It says, Lead me in the truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait till the day. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness' sake, O Lord, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and he humble, in the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his commandments and his testimonies. Psalms 86, 5 says, For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. And Psalms 116.5 says, Gracious is the Lord, and righteous, yes, our God is merciful. We have a tremendous God. He is a good God. Now I want you to think about everything you know and you enjoy in life comes from God. The goodness of God, that the sun shining outside to the, 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 the vegetables and fruit we get from the ground, from whatever you have, the, the food on your table, it all comes from God. He's truly good. And we know from the Old Testament at times God will, 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 will dry up the rain. And what happens? A famine comes. And then after the famine comes, the rain comes back, and then they see the goodness of God. But not only in, in that sense of the natural realm that God is good, and he allows the sun to shine on the just and the unjust alike, but God is good to unbelievers. He truly blesses them. He truly gives them monetary things, riches, whatever it might be. God is truly good. He's good to all mankind, all of humanity. You see, we're not deserving of any of this stuff. The minute that we turned our back on God and we sinned against him, we're not deserving of the blessings of God. We have them because God is good. He is truly good and wonderful. This building is provided by God. Everything you have. You know, a lot of times in my work, 
I have a secure paycheck. Every two weeks, I get a paycheck deposited into my account. And at times, I can turn around and just say, you know what? Uh, I earned it. You know, this is, this is, this is uh, something I've done. But really, the Lord's given me the job. The Lord has provided the money for the city of Los Angeles to pay me. And each and every one of you, has, he's provided your employer to employ other people or to employ you because he's good. And he provides and he gives. And a lot of times the goodness of the God, of God, the mercy and the grace and the kindness and long suffering and everything, for the unbeliever he gives and he's good to him because he wants him to repent. See, this is God's way of reaching out to unbelievers is, is he, he blesses them so that they in turn will will turn around and say, man, God is good. He's given me all this. But what man does is he turns around and he rejects God and he looks towards himself as his own uh, provider and rejects the goodness of God. But God still continues to work within man. And the same thing with us. God has given us good things in life so that we turn around and in return thank the Creator. Thank God for his goodness. Thank God for everything we have and one of our, our biggest, I think, faults of America here is God has blessed America. We're rich. We have truly been a rich country. And what is the purpose? I mean, we, we were bounded on Christian ethics and so forth. But the purpose is not so that we can build bigger and better homes. Not so that we can get uh, more toys to play with or bigger and nicer cars. But really, God has given it so that we can bless others and we can give to the poor and to feed the poor and to, to, to feed one another in the local assembly and to share the love and the goodness of God with one another. But we oftentimes do it, and I'm as guilty as any of them, as I take the money in and I say, what new toy can I go get? Man, as rich as we are, as much money as you just look at what the athletes make. I, I think a couple of those athletes, you just donate their salary to California, and we'll, we'll get out of debt. Look at the lottery. How much money is in the lottery? Supposedly they, they give away, you know, millions and millions of dollars. How much our federal government spends? Makes you sick. We're rich. But I'll tell you what, America's turning their back on God and on what is right, and there's going to be a change here. Get ready. They're turning their back on, on righteousness and, and on God. Not that the whole all America's believers, I'm not saying that at all, but the very founding fathers in our dollar bill has in God we trust and so forth. God honors that. And he wants to, he's given us the goodness in order to bless and to share with others. But God is good. He's long-suffering. He's so patient with us. How many times has God really just taken myself and cast myself away? My unfaithfulness. What about yours? God is so good. His mercies are new every morning. They never cease. They never stop. No matter how much you falter, no matter how much you fail in life, no matter what you turn your back on God, there's always a new day. His mercies are always new every morning. He's always there, ready to bless, ready to be good to you. He shows compassion on the weak. Oh, how many times the Lord Jesus Christ just looked out to people and had compassion on them. How we need compassion on one another. But God is truly good. And all the blessings we have are from him. The next thing is God is omnipresent. 
Look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 1. Omnipresent means God is everywhere. O oh Lord, you have searched me, and this is verse 1 of chapter 139. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. We and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light upon me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. There's nowhere that you can go to escape the presence of God. It's an amazing thing when you start to think about Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Can anyone hide himself in secret places? So I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? This should change the way we think. You know, it's one thing if God's in heaven and he can't see what you're doing. It's one thing if, uh, if God is not everywhere, but see, as Christians, as believers, as children of the God, children of God, wherever we go, He is with us. He's within each, each, one, each and every one of us. He has declared in 1 Corinthians that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells within us. The Father, Lord Jesus Christ, prayed, as I am in you, O Father. He, he goes on to say, and I in you, meaning us. Wherever we go, we take him. He's with us. He is in every believer. And there is no escaping the presence of God. No escaping at all. How many dishonoring places have we taken the Lord? You know, he sees everything. He knows everything. There's no hiding from him. He's a God that knows our deepest and darkest thoughts. So be honest with him. And he still loves us. And he's still good to us. But God is with us wherever we go. That's a tremendous blessing. That's a tremendous concept and thought that not only the negative side, we take him wherever we go. If we go somewhere bad, but we take him wherever we go. Day by day, he watches over us. And his care and his protection and his love and his grace and his mercy and everything else because He's within each and every one of us. He can dwell here in full essence, as well as the assembly down the road or in the other country, wherever it might be, India, Africa. He's in full essence dwelling there as well. 
And in heaven, he's there. He's everywhere. There's no limit to where he can be. He fills the heaven and the earth, it says in Jeremiah. This is incomprehensible. I can't understand it, but it's who God is. He can be everywhere. There's one place I want to read to you. 2 Thessalonians, turn there real quick. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. That as we sit here and we read that tremendous uh, portions of Scripture that God is everywhere and there's no hiding from Him, but you understand the presence of God also brings the goodness of God and where God is and everything we know and enjoy of life is, is from God, that which is good. I mentioned this verse uh, last time I spoke. We're going to read it. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and look at verse 8. In flaming fire, this is God talking about, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished from everlasting destruction. From what? From the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. See, those, and see, really, the gospel is not an option. The, the gospel is not presented as, please take it. It's a commandment. God commands men everywhere to repent and to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And see, when they don't, the weight is put back on them. And those who do not obey, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are people that have rejected Jesus as their Savior. They say, no, he's not my Savior. I don't want him for salvation. And they've turned their back on him. What's God going to do? Basically, what they're declaring to God is, God, you're not true. What you declare to your son is not true. But with these shall be punished with everlasting destruction. You see, the lake of fire is a real place where it's going to burn forever, and those that reject the Savior are going to go. And the worst part about it is not just the eternal flame that they're going to be burned in. It's not just the, pe- the darkness that's all around them. But everything you know right now and you experience is the goodness and the, is from God because God is present. But look at what they're going to be cast away from, the presence of the Lord. And from the glory of his power. They're not going to know the Lord. They're not going to experience any goodness in the lake of fire. This is a place that was prepared for the devil and his, his, his angels. But those that reject Jesus Christ as a personal savior, that reject the sacrifice that was made for him, he's going to cast them into it. He has no other choice. He's a righteous God. He's a just God. He wants to save us. But it has to be that we come and accept the Savior as our own. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for your children. You can't do it for your spouse. Each individual person has to come to the Creator and accept that sacrifice for their own. God is everywhere. And we experience the blessings of God, but there's going to come a time where some are going to experience the absence of the presence of the Lord. We are out of time. Next time I speak, we'll pick up and and take the last four, which is God is omniscient, God is omnipotent, righteous and just, and the sovereignty of God. But these attributes are, are something amazing of who God is. He's changeless. 
He, inter- he exercises each one of these att- attributes in correlation with, you, with each other, and our God is truly amazing. Beyond our comprehension, beyond anything that we could think up, our God is truly an amazing God that didn't originate in the minds of men. He's too big. He's too vast. He's too, um, too awesome. I, man cannot think up this stuff. But God has revealed himself to us in great length of who he is. And in the Old Testament, we didn't go over the names, but he's to, he's to Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. It's, it's different actions that God does as he reveals himself to man. But God loves us. And God wants his children to represent him on this earth. So not all these attributes are great for God. Let's apply them towards our own life. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we just humbly come before you. And Father, as our finite minds begin to try to understand the infinite, and Father, the, the, the words just bow under the pressure and the weight of your awesomeness of who you are. Father, only your spirit can reveal to us truly who you are, O oh God, and how magnificent you are. And my prayer this morning is prayer for the saints that they'll comprehend the depth the length of how great you are, O oh God. Let the Spirit of God reveal and open their minds up to truly take in how great you are and how much you love us and how good you are and how your mercies are, are new every morning and how your grace is never ending. Father, we just thank you so much. And we could even get into all the blessings, the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that you have given us in Christ Jesus and our inheritance in the uh, saints and that you have brought us in as sons and as children of God, and everything you have, you are just so good to us. Father, all we were deserving of was a lost eternity in hell and separated from you. Because you were good, oh God, you brought us back to you. Thank you. And if there's any here that do not know you, oh Father, that have not accepted Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, as their Savior, we pray that you'll speak to them and they'll do so. Now let one day go by, one minute go by without knowing the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.